Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the From the Finney podcast with Jimmy and me, Jake. In this episode, we're joined by North End fan Adam Brown. We'll discuss another very shit Saturday and we'll answer a few of your questions. So enjoy. How are we, boys? Are we good? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Obviously, that's without the obvious caveat of the football being pants at the moment, but... Well, yeah, we're had, used to that now, I think. <laughs> we've had better weeks, haven't we? Yeah, I think... You, in fact, you tweeted it yesterday, didn't you? It's been probably the worst seven days in the club's recent history, or yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, it's been a bad week. It's been a very yeah. bad week. Um, not, even see, not even seeing a goal, though. Like, you know, three defeats to nil, it's just... Yeah, I felt... I, I just felt numb yesterday, I'll be honest, after the game. I was just like... Something's just got to happen. And yeah. when did we last yeah. see a goal? I can't. I, actually, I genuinely can't remember. Bournemouth, Bournemouth game. Oh when, god, um, yeah. yeah. DJ scored after Steve Cook's mess up. So yeah. Um, well, before we get into the pod, just a reminder, as always, and as I, as I say every week, that you can support us here at From the Finney with a donation. Just head over to supporter.acast.com forward slash From the Finney and. All money received helps to to keep the podcast and the website running and is hugely appreciated, as is a rather significant donation that we've received in the last week or so from someone who's asked to remain anonymous. But yeah, just a little shout out to you if you are listening. It is greatly appreciated and you've basically secured secured from the Finney for the next 12 months. Yeah, it's amazing. Massively appreciated. Yeah, it is. It is. I know I say it every week and it probably sounds like a flippant comment, but I mean, I messaged you about it, didn't I, Jim? And just couldn't quite believe what, what I'd seen. But Yeah, my comment in the group chat was something like, he's done what? I was, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was well, shocked, but it's amazing. Like, It's amazing the generosity of people out there. And, you know, it's not just the, the, the big donations like that. It's the little ones that keep coming through as well. And just like the thanks and support from people on Apple Podcasts and you know generally on Twitter as well it's it's really appreciated and I suppose it makes it all worthwhile really because it's been such a uh, a shit year really I didn't want to say that because I got told off of swearing last week but um, <laughs> I think you it's do, just you been you do that for most weeks anyway I know but I, I, I do try and rein it in but that Wickham game I couldn't help it you know I think emotions got the better of me it's but, a good like, job I edited out your uh the rant beforehand. Your yeah, record yeah. breaker. Yeah, we won't talk about that, please. It's quite <laughs> embarrassing when I listen back to it. Um, but no, honestly, after the past 12 months, I think we've all been through as a as people as well as a club, I think, you know, those sort of little positive comments and the nice bits of feedback, it, it does make it all worthwhile. Because there is some days like today, you know, I messaged Jake at 8 o'clock this morning saying I'm really struggling to motivate myself for today. I'll be honest, it's, it's just hard. Like, and... I think those little nuggets of positivity that keep coming back to us, despite you know the football being pretty dire and everything else that's going on in the world at the minute, I think it's it just keeps all going. So thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I don't really have anything to say. I think you've summarised it quite well there, Jim. Yeah, yesterday, 
I mean, first things first, we're, I think all three of us are aware that this hasn't been good enough for a while. And we'll come on to sort of the club in general a little bit later on in the podcast. But I just want to say now that I don't believe that this is all entirely Alex's fault. I think there's there's more to it than just simply looking at the manager. Yeah. I mean, if you look at that back four that started yesterday, you know, you you got a feel for him, haven't you? Yeah. It's, if you're Luton and you're looking at that, you're thinking, here we go. We've you're lapping it up, today. aren't you? Yeah. And that's what he's dealing with. I mean, the, I was midweek against Borough, the, the back four that finished that game. I mean... You're angry, aren't you? God knows what he's thinking. Yeah, you're frustrated more than anything, aren't you? I mean, I tweeted like it's a League One back line because that's, you know, that back line, you'd expect it from a top half League One team, really. You know, don't remember, Jordan Story's a good centre half, I think. I think he'll come on, especially over the next 12 months with consistent game time. You know, my views on. Joe Rafferty are quite well known. It's not his fault. He's doing his, the best he can, um, you know, at this level. And you can't knock him for giving that effort. You know, he's a third choice left back and he's chucked back in yesterday. And to be fair to Joe Rafferty yesterday, I thought he was one of the the better players on the day. Yeah. You know, Liam Lindsay, obviously a physical profile, um, made the mistake midweek. And then Sep and Sep's 19. You know, that entire bat line, if you include Dan Iverson in that, has just been chucked into the club since start of January. You know, what, Lindsay, Sepp, Dan Iverson, that's three out of the back five, if you include the keeper, that's that's new to the club. And All in the space of a short period of time as well. But they've, they've arrived in the past two months, really. Mm. And you've got to give Daniel Iverson a lot of credit for yesterday because... He's kept us in it again, you know, and I don't know how many of the last 13 games we've said that, that he's played, you know, he's kept us in another game. Um, that, that save for their goal was, was another. Phenomenal. He, he's, he's done a few of those, hasn't he, where the cross comes in and he's, he's at close range and you think this is in this and he saved it and he's just so unlucky with the, the rebound. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it looked like it was rolling out of play. And then obviously Collins gets gets the shot off, and it just sort of hits him, doesn't it, and ends up in the back of the net. Yeah, so unlucky. But when he looks down, he looks down in it. And I think I said everything. To be honest, it's another backline change again. I mean, Christ, I'm sick of banging this drum. Like since Daniel Iverson's been at the club, I'm just looking now through through my little notes that I make. And we've now had 11 different defensive partnerships. 11 different de- defensive partnerships in what? 17 games? Something like that. What have you, what have you played? That's just obscene. You know, it's it's no shock. Like, defensively, we'll, we sink deeper every game. And we just struggle to get out, you know. And yesterday, first half, was a, it was a minging game to start with. Um I think it was 95 long balls in the first half yesterday for both teams combined. It's just aerial duels and, you know, the ball probably spent more time in the air than it did on the deck. Yeah. It just it just wasn't a good watch. You know, they've got a long throw in Cornick who I thought their long throws caused us a bit of problems, quite a few problems yesterday. You know, just asking questions more than anything, putting the ball in the box on a, on a regular basis like they did. And 
Tar- targeted the keeper as well, didn't they, from set pieces and like. To, to be fair to him, like I think that's probably the weakest part of his game is coming for crosses and and that aerial presence. Despite him being what six foot three, six foot four, but he's young. He's twenty three. You know, I, I don't expect a keeper to be to, to have that full reading of the game at that age. You know, he's played less than a hundred career games in league football, um. So you know that comes with time, and his shot stopping ability is just ridiculous. Yeah, it, it is. He's so good. We we have to we have to do all we can if we can get him back next season because there are little things that he does like coming for crosses. I mean, there's been a few issues where he's come out and there's been a bit of miscommunication and stuff like that. He's coming out of his box, but on the whole, I mean, he's he's a top keeper, isn't he? Yeah, we'll be lucky to get him back next season um, in any capacity, and I think. Again, no slight to, to Deck because I think he has improved this year, but um, when you've had people in the past saying that we don't need to upgrade, I think Iverson coming in has shown just how we can upgrade that department. Um, it's been no secret as well that Alex has wanted a new keeper for what you could arguably say his entire time at the club, I think. Um, yeah. And just hasn't got it. Obviously, we were, we were linked through the entire summer before last with uh, R.O. Murich, and that never came off. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's definitely an area that we need to look to sort of find and maybe a bit more of a permanent replacement in in the summer. In term, sorry, a permanent upgrade in the summer. Well, even if even if we don't do that, you need competition for for deck, don't you? And at the minute, he hasn't got any. So yeah. you know. <laughs> You're in. He might, he might, he might find that he's got some competition if it comes to a chicken nugget eating competition. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's about it, isn't it? Really, um, yeah. it's just because um, we, t- we spent what, what did we spend on Rick? Was it three hundred grand? Because he played some, well at Accrington, like yeah. and then obviously, I think when we signed him, Dex form improved significantly quite quickly. You know, so that I suppose that sort of bounce happened in terms of an improvement in form and I don't think Dex played badly for the past sort of 18 months his underlying numbers aren't great in terms of his shot saving percentage and the difficulties of shots he's, he's received against his um, oh, I forgot his, I'll, I'll retweet in a bit but there was a, there was a thread that came out last week and compared all the keepers in the championship and Dex was in the bottom 20% in terms of all the, all the underlying numbers, not just one or two. And Daniel Iverson's probably, probably just above average, you know, and we think Daniel Iverson's amazing, <laughs> you know, in terms of obviously what he's done in the 15, 16 games he's been at the club. So I think it just shows the improvement in quality. And I think a lot of what we do in the goalkeeping department next season is dependent on what happens in these next eight games because it depends what league we're in. Uh, because that's yeah. where we're at now, and that's that's well, a scary thought. Just just on that, um, we've had, I think, a couple of tweets come in from from different people. Sort of, obviously, we we lost yesterday, Wednesday, and Rotherham both won, and people asking, sort of, seriously now, are we are we in a relegation battle? Yeah, we don't score goals. We're not scoring goals. That's a a massive issue. And, yeah. we, and for me, what happened yesterday was, I mean, I didn't see the first half because I follow us down. But, I've, you didn't, you didn't, <laughs> but it sounds as though I didn't miss anything. But 
My, mine went down Evans. at half time. I was hoping that was my ready-made excuse to miss the second half. I was as well. Hopefully I get a refund. The issue for me is that Evans is so isolated, like so deep. Evans is isolated. Can't get anybody up there near it. And the ball either comes back or Evans just runs around like a madman, gets a throw in. You know, that, that's, that's yeah. pretty much where we're at at the minute. And then the next few games coming up, it's not looking good, Doesn't is it? Doesn't make for good reading, does it? No, I think we're on the verge of being sucked into it properly. The three teams I've just, I've, well, to be fair, the third one has only just come into mind the past couple of weeks. But I've mentioned about Birmingham and Coventry for the past couple of weeks on here. You know, great. Birmingham have had a bit of a new manager bounce. Great for them anyway. Um, whether that continues or not is another question remains to be seen. You know, they got Dick 3 well, nil yesterday. I was going to say it finished quite yeah. quickly yesterday, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. But you're playing a quality opposition in Watford that don't concede goals. You know, Watford yeah, have conceded the least goals in the league this season and uh, probably the well in the top sort of five or six in terms of goals scored. You know, quality at this level, it's, it was always going to come to fruition in the end, even though they had a shaky start. Um, Coventry, we've got a massive game, four games left of the season against Coventry at their place. And then Huddersfield, I think Huddersfield are just dropping. Their form's not great. Last 15 games, they've only picked up 11 points, bottom of the league for that. You know, Derby as well. Derby is not not in great form. Yeah, well, Derby form table wise, that last ten games they are nineteenth. Last fifteen, the twelfth. Uh, sorry, tenth. Um, so there's a lot of teams in and around where we are that are struggling. Dar- just I, on Derby as well, they've just lost Bielik again, haven't they? And I think their yeah. their numbers. I saw a comparison the other day on Twitter. Their numbers with and without Bielik are quite. It's like ours, if I was a Derby fan. It's like ours with and without Darnell Fisher. We're or picking up we're picking up one without Pearson in the past. Yeah, we're picking up one and a half points a game with Fisher in the team. We're picking up less than a point a game without him. Yeah. You know, no surprise there. Like you lose your best right back two days before the end of the window. And I, I know he missed the odd game and you know he benched for a couple in January. But you know, we're a better team with him in the in the side, you know, and he's yeah. now playing for a team that's what eighth, ninth in the league? You know, in the top ten. Do you, look, wish. Do you look think, at Sheffield Wednesday and think they're a team to maybe worry about being caught by, or do you think do you think it's rather and mainly with obviously with the games in hand that they've got that, that it's that it's that one spot that's left really? I think twelve yeah. points is a lot to make up on us. With they've got nine, we've got eight games left of the season. You know, that's four games. They, they've got to win four games to even catch yeah. us. You know, and that means, and, and that's with the caveat that we don't pick up another point in that time, um, which I know could be possible with our runner fixtures. I get that. But Sheffield Wednesday's next, well, next five games, they've got to go to Watford. They've got to play Cardiff at home, go to QPR, and then play Bristol City and Blackburn at home. Then they've got to play Middlesbrough, Forest and Derby. They've not got an easy fixture between now and the end of the season. Yeah. So I'm not fussed about Chef Wednesday and Wickham. I think they've gone already. Personally, I think there's that one spot to fight for. If I'm a bit, I am a betting man. I think it's Coventry they'll get it. I, I just Coventry's winning games. You say that like the winner prize. No, no, but Coventry right. They've got to play every team sort of in and around where they are. They've got to play Uddersfield. They've got to play us. They've got to play um, like QPR and they've got no games where you think, oh yeah that's a guaranteed three points for them. 
Yeah. You know, but they they're playing Bournemouth. They've got to play. They've got to go to like Stoke, who are picking up a lot of like one nil wins at the minute. Got to go to you know, play Millwall last game at season and stuff. It's just like, I think we'll be all right, but we have got to pick up. I think we've got to pick up between maybe five points. I think we, if you can get to forty-eight, so four points, I think we'll be safe. Yeah. And we should have picked up the four points in the past week, and we wouldn't be having this conversation now. But because we are where we are. It's it's not looking pretty, like. But I just think you know, look at Huddersfield. Huddersfield are, are struggling, you know, as well. And our issue, personally, as a football club, for me, is that we're not scoring goals. We've scored nine goals in the last fifteen games. I think we scored nine goals this calendar year. And I felt for Chad Evans yesterday because he worked his nuts off, right? And he just had nobody near him. Adam, you're spot on. He was so isolated, and you've got to get people up with him, you know. We've got when he made that last sum and he put Gally on. I was like, it was coming out for me second. yesterday. The sub for me yesterday was Bowden. Like, on what? What's he what doing? does that offer us? What does that offer us? And that was at nil nil, wasn't it? Mm. What What does Bowden offer us at this stage? It It made no sense to me. And then within a minute, I mean, I'm not saying he was at fault, but within a minute, he scored. He scored, and then suddenly you're like, "Well, Bowden ain't going to get us back in the game, is he?" No, I put that in my notes, mate. I put really poor subs I thought all five of them were very questionable I thought you know we were crying out for legs in the middle of the park after about 55 minutes you could tell Ledson hadn't played for five, six, seven games whatever it was I just thought you know get Malumbi on get your legs back in the midfield you know give Whiteman a bit of help because you know Whiteman isn't very defensively minded I'll come on to the goal in a minute there's a massive question mark on Whiteman on the goal. Um, I just thought you need legs in there. You know, get Mulumbi on, get get some energy back into midfield because Ledson, you know, whilst he tried hard yesterday, the game sort of did pass him by for, for the majority because, and that's just sharpness, that's just match, that's think, just match sharpness, isn't it? And yeah, I think he's come out in the press afterwards, hasn't he, and said I was a bit rusty today. So Yeah, well, everyone could see that, but yeah. you, bring, you, you bring in Jason Mulumbi, we fight off other clubs to get him, you know, a Decent player at this level, you know, did a great job for Millwall last year. He don't get off the bench. I like, what's this about? He's just got the Island squad. We're not, and he's not getting game time here. You know, it just it sort of kills relationships with clubs because we're not playing them. You know, and I just think we've got to do better. Better, you know, Brighton have got Max Sanders at a really great centre midfielder. You know, he's gone out on loan to League One. You know, I'd love him to be. I'd love us to go for him next season because I think he'd make a real impact on our team. But we're never going to be able to get another player off them at this rate if we're not playing the lone players that we get off them already. I just think yeah. it's really poor. Um, Malumbi was a weird one because, I mean, do you reckon we got him because we thought DJ was going or what? Because he doesn't really fit in that number six role very well, and then he's played number ten a few times, but now DJ is back. DJ's going to play there. So Malumbi's mm. kind of just stuck. I, I think, no I, think, I, think you're, I think you're right. I think they got him, maybe not specifically DJ, but knowing that both Alan and DJ were out of contract in the summer and thought it's probably something that came up and they've probably thought we'll get him in because we've got two players here that we don't know if they're signing a contract yet. And obviously it's turned out that they both have. And then you've got Oladu who's just not, he's just dwindling away, isn't he, at the club at the minute? It's just poor for me. I think it's just really poor. And I think that was the key thing for me yesterday. You know, the two subs, 
for the wide players in particular. You know, bringing on Maguire and Barkey for Sinclair and Gordon. I know Sinclair and Gordon were quiet, but Sinclair was just getting in the game. You know, he, he's getting on the ball a little bit more, five, five, ten minutes before he got subbed. Made a couple of runs into the box. You know, Gordon was quiet yesterday. Probably going to be quiet after being sort of frozen out for, what, two, three games. You know, it's going to take him time to, especially when starting, and they doubled up on him really well, did Luton. The, the right side of their diamond basically drops in on him every time he got the ball. And I just thought, you know, I didn't agree with them. So Barkey did all that when he came on. He was quite, you know, quite direct with his running. But the Bowden one, I just couldn't, you know, this is a guy that was literally out out the door end of January. You know, if we could find a taker for him. He's out of contract in two months. So why are we doing that? It just made no sense. The Wednesday game as well. He brought him on then. It was weird. It just made no sense. And the galley for Ledson one, I just thought, I know Galley's put an unbelievable delivery in, you know, what, 88th minute. Maguire's just not going to be able to get past his, his, the blocker in the box. And it's, you know, I just think if it's Ched, Ched beats that guy. Ched, Ched beats their centre-half and he gets to the ball and it's just like, it's an unbelievable ball if Ched's in the box. But Shawnee's not played great as a nine, you know, especially attacking the ball from those sort of areas for, for months. You know, it's just, his subs made no sense to me yesterday and I think that was part of the problem for me especially and he probably felt it himself you know he's just made two what he'd see as positive changes being on Bowden and Potts and then we concede 90 seconds later and the goal we concede is really poor for me I, it's an unbelievable save by Iverson but you've got to look further back than the and Rafferty and Ledson on that left side both fail to engage the guy who crosses the ball Whiteman gets drawn to the ball instead of tracking the tracking his um his man, Jusby Hall. So Jusby Hall's got a free run into the box because Whiteman's got he's got drawn into the ball. Iverson's no right to save the save the shot to the, in the first place. And it's just sods law that it falls to Collins because you know he's just got like kind of like a scoring against us at the minute. But that's a, a sub that's come on for them and has positively impacted the game. But I just I was really frustrated when especially the more times I've watched it back, the more times I think like either Rafferty or Ledson has got to press the man. Can't just let him pick his spot. You know, it's a bit similar to the Balassi cross midweek. Yeah. You, know, you can't you can't just let somebody cross the ball into the box unopposed. It, what what it why? Comes back to what the manager's that? been saying in the press for weeks though, doesn't it? And we're not doing the basics well enough. It's really poor, and I think you need to watch Whiteman's running as well because Whiteman's go, gets drawn to the ball. Then he, I don't know why, but he sort of takes over Barkey's man that's trying that's running through to he's between the eighteen and sort of twenty two yard like you know area from from the goal line, and he takes over his run, but he's completely left Hughesby Hall. And I just looked, I thought, take some take some responsibility. You know yeah. why why is why is that being allowed to happen, and. I get he's new to the team and I get this is a completely different midfield again for him playing yesterday. And I just thought, you know, people are looking at him as being a leader, you know, coming in from Doncaster where he was captain. Someone's got to tell him, you know, you can't, someone's got to be saying, that is your man. You need to pick him up. Whether, yeah. and whether that's DJ Ledson, whoever was captain at the time, I think it was Ledson at that point. You know, come on, we've got to do better because... It's another mistake that's cost us a goal, that's cost us a point at home. And how many, that's six 1 0 defeats this season at home. That's not acceptable. And the players have got to take as much responsibility as the manager for me. 
Because when they're not doing the basics right, we're making individual errors that's costing us goals. Alex Neal can't be held... Well, he's going to be held accountable, but he's not culpable for players not following men and getting drawn to the balls and you know slicing the ball into nets and missing clearances. You know, basics. Heading the ball, he heading the he ball into the bottom yeah. right hand corner from you know in the first fifteen seconds of the game against Rotherham, that's not Alex Neal's fault. Ultimately, it's, it's it's going to cost him his job. But we've got to look deeper than just thinking that everything that's happened over the past 12, 18 months, however long you want to call it, is Alex Neal's fault because there's so much more that's going on than is on the manager's head. And yeah. We've said it in the past, haven't we, that managers uh, are the face of the club, if you will. They're the public front of the club and ultimately they will be the ones that pay the price. Yeah. Just on, obviously, the future of the manager, while we're recording, he is still in a job. Um, I think it's widely known now that he is expected to lose his job. Uh, We had one tweet that came in and it, it read almost like we were coming across as though we were desperate for him to sack and that's not the case the the players obviously have had their say but in this day and age that doesn't really count for much when it comes to people at the top of the club making decisions um, to address the one tweet in particular we are supporters and we're not fair weather plastics as it was put I think if we were fair weather plastics uh, me and you in particular Jim and obviously Ollie for the past 18 months that he's been with from the Finney wouldn't have been covering the club week in, week out on here like we have been doing. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's one point that I'd just like to say and I think perhaps a little bit out of order. But Yeah, I mean, this takes up, this, this you know, this takes up hours of our week, let's be honest, you know. Yeah, it does. A couple, it, of, it, couple it, of hours recording each episode, you know, watching the games in as much detail as we can, making notes, etc. And uh, it, it's not like a quick get together on a Sunday morning, chat bollocks for an hour and then, you know, if that's how it sounds, park. then fair enough. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> yeah, that's not, not the intention. Lot, yeah. It's um, a lot more going into it. And, but I think on Alex Neal, I think everybody's fully aware. He listens to this podcast every week that I'm a, a big advocate of Alex Neal. And I have fully supported his reign during we, this time. We, we all have. But, we all have. Yeah, yeah. We, we've backed him at times to the hill. Yeah. To, to, yeah. And I've, Yes, my, my I, I do think we need a change now as manager. Do I think everything is his fault? Absolutely not. I think he's been dealt um, a harsh hand. And I think, I, I do feel the lack of fans and lack of pressure from the paying public has probably paid a part in that as well. Um, because let's make a buzz about it. We, we as fans would not have allowed to been beat six times at home one nil this season and have you know countless de- well, 20 defeats I don't think as supporters we'd have accepted that in person and I don't think the players would have as well I think you know Ryan touched on it midweek that playing in front of empty stadiums is feels like there's no pressure on yeah. the players feels like there is no pressure and I think when and you get you, people doing stuff that they wouldn't normally do that you don't even see them doing in training that they think oh, I'll try this and then it's yeah but I, I, I mean I'm not going to go out and down my sword for Alex Neil because you know that's not what I want to do because I do feel that a change of manager is now needed however I do feel Alex Neil will probably get to the Premier League before Preston North End do. yeah uh, and I genuinely I genuinely believe that because I think he'll go into a different club and he will um, 
be able to turn around a sinking ship, you know, or, or turn around a club and, and improve their fortunes. You know, people talk about Blackburn Rovers. I think given their players they've got at their disposal, you know, the money that they've chucked at players over the past four or five years under the Venkies, you know, to the tune of £120 million. I think, you know, if he is well supported with a category one academy as well, I know, I know. Obviously, people say he doesn't use academy players, but the fact that he's got that potential within his within their four walls at, at Blackhawks, whatever it's called, then I think if he went into a club like that, he, he would massively improve them as a football club. I think. Um, I think a good example of where Alex Neil would have done well um, would would have been Bournemouth. Yeah. You, look, you look at the time that they got rid of Jason Tindall. If they'd have come in for Alex Neal, I think they'd have looked comfortable in the playoffs at the moment. Without I think the playoffs, well no, that's my point. I think they'd have looked comfortably well well within that top six. I think yeah. he would have done well at any of the clubs he was he was linked with. You know, the West Brom situation, Stoke, um, and then even Bristol City in the summer that was rumoured. I mean, look, let's face it, he's still a good coach. Yeah. And you know, if anyone bothers to follow me on Twitter, I've always been a big fan of him. And um, I personally think that you can only get away with selling your best players for so long and without replacing them with, with decent players, especially in a January transfer window, it's only going to go one way. And I know yeah. people have said this has been going on for months and to some extent it has, but well, it, it, it has, but it has. But on that, before when we were heading into January, I think Ollie tweeted this yesterday, and he, he messaged me something about it as well. Heading into January, we were eleventh in the table, and people were talking about how, yeah, the home form was was bad. We we weren't pulling up trees, but we had an outside chance of the playoffs, and we've come out of January and look where we've ended up. Well, we were in a good position in January, and then what was it, January the first? And I'm not saying this has anything to do with it, but it set the, the, the tone, really. The article got released about Ben Davis leaving, and I think it was before the Forest game, and we lost. And then you know then, you know how January's going. Players know how it's going. Alex knows how it's going. Fans know how it's going. And then by the end of it, to sell Fisher without his agreement, you know, I, I feel for him. I looked him on the sideline yesterday and then the interviews after and stuff and he's he's completely broken, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's, he's done with it, I think. Just doesn't know what to do, does he? he, he like he's he's trying to find the answer to the problem. I, I don't think I don't think there's an easy answer to the problem anymore. No. You know, he's tried every solution, to be honest. Well, what else can he do? It, it, it to that. I think he's low on confidence. I think the players are clearly low on confidence. Everyone's just bad. I think everyone just needs this a break you know another players are off for a couple of days now they're off today and tomorrow but I think we probably need a longer break than that you know and I think we all do I think fans do I think everyone's just bit footballed to death aren't they at the minute yeah. and ultimately you know we probably just have run out of a bit of steam and we just need to recharge the batteries hopefully and if, if we can pick up eight, like I said probably need four points stay up I hope we only need four points anyway and We'll just wait and see what happens. But you'd like to I don't think, think that we'll pick four up in the next eight games. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? But like yeah. I said, I thought I thought we'd have picked up four points in the last three games before, yeah. or whatever it is. But you know, look, we just 
we'll just wait and see what happens. I think we're all expecting Alex Neil to go in the next 24 hours or to be confirmed. But yeah. it'll be sad slow. We'll finish recording it. It'll, be, it'll get set it'll be announced. announced. It? Yeah. But <laughs> um, then, then we become, you know, what's the phrase about chip paper and uh, yesterday's news? I've, I've, I don't know. I just know there's a, there's a quote about that yeah, somewhere. Like, uh, but, you know, is what it is. It is. Um, yeah, I think unless you boys have got anything else you want to add to that, we can go and get a brew and uh, we'll call that part one. Cheers, Jake. Grand. I'll see you in part two, boys. The From the Finney podcast is brought to you in partnership with our title sponsor, Lanx Live. Lanx Live is the most popular news source in the county and is run entirely by a local team who all care dearly about the areas in which they live. On to matters football, specifically Preston North End, and George Hodgson is their man at Deepdale. He's a North End fan, and he asks the questions that the fans want answered. The best thing about Lanx Live is that the news is all free to read, and the best way to keep on top of it all is by downloading the app or signing up to the newsletter. Head on over to lanx.live and sign up today. To stay up to date with all the latest news coming from Deepdale, follow their dedicated Twitter account, at PNE Live. And now, back to the podcast. Welcome back to part two of the From the Finney podcast. In this part, we've got a few different talking points. We'll we'll discuss potential replacements. Uh, we'll discuss Paul Gallagher, the future of the club, and where we go from here. Really, um, we'll we'll touch on the Norwich game, but we'll we'll not really go into too much detail because who knows where we'll be or who will be here come Saturday. Um, but yeah, first things first on replacements. I think people need to get the idea of Chris Wilder out of the head. Um, obviously, we've just had a bit of a discussion in the break about him and you were going back and forth on it, Jim, with, with the there is a chance, there isn't a chance. But I think, Adam, you you made a good point about why he's just left Sheffield United and one of the big reasons being that he's got little to no control over transfers and Obviously, again, we'll come on to this a bit later on in the second part, but if if the path that we're, we believe that the club is looking to go down, which is sort of a bit more of a head coach route, then it's just not a route that would suit Chris Wilder because he's probably, as, again, as we said in the break, one of the more traditional managers, if you will, that likes that sort of hands-on involvement in all aspects of the club kind of manager role as opposed to just focusing purely on the, the playing side of things. Yeah, my mind on, uh, you know, I think everyone's fully aware I'm a, a big advocate of Chris Wilder and I think the way he got Sheffield United promoted and the way that the, they played football was amazing. Um, on an all right budget, but got the best out of his players. I think there was a quote about how he got, he, he turned good players into great players. He, he turned great players into amazing players and he turned amazing players into, you know, uh, just that next level. Yeah, or something on those lines, anyway. And you know, I'd love him here. I just, yeah, think, so I. I, I just think it's my mind, though. I, I, I keep saying, like, you know, you've got two parts of your brain and stuff. Like, it's like they're both. It's like they're both having an argument with each other because one half saying, "Yeah, we've got a chance" because he's only managed Northampton and Oxford before before going to Sheffield United, and he, he went to Sheffield United in League One, and there is a chance for it happening. That side of the brain is, you know my cabbage side I think because the other side is then saying you know with no chance he's Premier League experience manager 
he's just left Sheffield United because of an argument about transfers, which is his boyhood club. You know, if you bring in Chris Wilde, you bring in um, is it Alan Nil. Alan Nil, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's his assistant. Uh, you bring in him as well, who tends to be more of the tactician and coach side or something. I, I, I forgot what piece I read on The Athletic about it, but there was a decent one about like the two of them as a combination. And I just don't see it happening. I just don't like, I just, not the way that the club want to go down in terms of the head coach route potentially. I just, I just can't see us attracting Chris Wilder under those circumstances, um, which is a shame, but I've just got to be realistic. Although the other side of my mind is telling me 20 quid and then when the betting comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an old Jimmy. <laughs> Save your money. I know it's not. Yeah. Well, we no. all know Jim's a better man, so... Yeah. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think, in terms of replacements, I know some fans might laugh at this when they hear it, and, and if it was a discussion on social media, I know that, again, like everything on social media at the minute, it'd be split, but do you think we can still consider ourselves to be a good proposition to potential new managers as a club in terms of the stadium, the we've got a reasonable squad for this level, I would say. Um, we're better than where we are, I think. Maybe not by much, but we are better than where we are. Do you think we can still consider ourselves to be a, um, yeah, like a, 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 an attractive proposition to potential new managers? I think, I think this time around, probably going to be more of us selling the club to a manager than a manager selling themselves to us because we've got um we've got James beating now in the recruitment side of things whether he's involved whether he's involved in any head coach recruitment I don't know there's rumors of that as well I believe he'll have a part to play in it yeah so I think it I think it depends for us on what the strategy is what the plan is and how we can sell that to a manager because let's face yeah. it the stadium's good you know, we are a good club and a decent championship club. Are we a club that you're going to easily get to the Premier League? No. So, yeah, I don't know. It's difficult. I think it would be a very good project for someone that wants to prove themselves at this level and who, as a coach, feels they can get the best out of a group of players that maybe are a little bit low on confidence and probably have got the raw materials. That's probably the best way I can describe it. You know, you've got players like Ryan Ledson, Jordan Story, Emil Reese. Jason Mullumby at the moment. Obviously, I know he's only on loan. Alan Brown, Daniel Johnson. Scott Sinclair. Scott Sinclair. The year after his contract, Brad Potts. They've all got decent technical ability, but maybe aren't fulfilling their potential as players at this moment in time. And I think if you're a good coach and you you want to come into a, a club that is going down the head coach structure and wants to get the best out of the players and coaching both technically and tactically on a daily basis I think it's a great opportunity for someone as well as trying to get the best out of these players and motivate them to perform at that, the best of their ability which any coach with any salt about them would want to do Yeah. Um, so yeah I, I think it is a good project for someone Exxon's an amazing facility it's a massive upgrade on Springfield you know decent commuter links you know, I was going to say Manchester. that I think, I think that's a big point worth, worth noting where what, 40 minutes from Liverpool, 40 minutes from Manchester? 
two hours on the train from Scotland, two hours on the train from London. So I think where Exton is especially, you know, Spingley's was quite hard to get to. You know, if you get off the motorway, you've still got another 20 minutes to get, get over to Leah. Yeah, I, I know obviously the bills and the new bypass and stuff and obviously when the new junction opens up at the motorway that'll help Springies etc but we're at Exton now you know we're not leaving Exton anytime soon and it's pretty uh, much right right on the the motorway junctions isn't it well you're off the 61 you're off the M6 you know you yeah. can get to Exton quite easily I'll, I'll say well a lot easier than you could to Springies so I think it is a good proposition for someone um who I don't know. Yeah. Um, I know we're going to come to that in a minute. I've got a few names in mind that I'd be okay, happy with potentially coming through the door. I've got some names that I'd want to chuck myself in the middle if they came through the door. <laughs> where, where do you stand on, on Adam's point of perhaps we're now a proposition where we need to sell ourselves to a potential candidate as opposed to the other way around? Yeah. Um, I think... Peter and Trevor have probably got a job to do on that on that front. You know, you've I, I suppose the perception within the football world is that we probably don't back the manager and we sell an asset every twelve months. You know, we, we've not chucked substantial money at a manager probably in our history, maybe since Alan Irving. You know, since he signed Chaplow, Carter, Shumakoski, etc. Shudder. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say. But, you know, I think that was the last manager before Alex Neal that was substantially backed. You know, Alex Neal's <clears throat> net spend as a manager, pff, you know, he's probably made the club probably the best part of 10, 12 million pounds in transfer fees in terms of what we've spent to what we've received. Well, Robbo yeah. was seven. Think, Hugo was nine. Greg was, what, three, four? Exactly. You know, those three are 21 million combined. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, Alex Neal has not spent 21 million pounds on, on player transfer fees. Just just a point I'd like to mention on transfer fees as well is people keep pointing to, oh, he's the most back manager in history. And I think we've said this on, on the pod in the past, but, you know, you, you look at the money that Alan Irvine spent compared to now, money is, is a different proposition altogether compared to what it was 10, 15 years ago. Naturally, it's going to be, you're going to be laying out more cash because of the way the world is. Yeah, but Alan Irving didn't get twenty-one million pound in transfer fees in his back pocket. Yeah, no, I name, know, me a, but... name me a player that Alan Irving sold. No idea, but my point is, is that <laughs> honestly, no, honestly, have a look at it. Have no, a look I, at I, Alan I, compl- I completely agree, Jim. But I think to, to beat Alex Neil until he got came back on loan, he came back by a master shot by Derek Shaw. You know, putting that clause into the loan contract that it could get recalled, and you know, if it didn't work out for both parties, you know, we charged Middlesbrough a loan fee of quite a substantial amount, and then we end up getting the player back. I mean, Christ, Derek Shaw was probably doing cartwheels around the boardroom when that happened. You know, he must have thought he was an absolute genius. Well, but, I think the the point I'm trying to make is to use transfer spend as a stick to beat Alex Neil with. Granted, his transfers on the whole haven't been great, but naturally he's going to be spending more money on players now than what he would have done if he was in the job 10 years ago. It's just the way the market is. So well, the think, way of the world. Think, yeah, exactly. People need to get it out of their heads as well, is that one million isn't a lot for a player nowadays. You know, and no. people beat him with it and say, oh, you've spent one million here, 1.6 here. It's not a lot of money in, in transfer terms for you to get quality in. You're still getting in potential. You know, look at Reese, look at Whiteman. Bayless, I mean, yeah. Bayless, I mean, what, 
is he injured? He was he wasn't even on the bench again yesterday. Um, so people beat him with it, but you know when you're bringing in that type of money and replacing them with just potential, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, you know? absolutely, absolutely. Um, let's have some names then. What's who have you got on your list, Adam? I'll start with you. For me, Appleton would be the one for me. Um, yeah. Not just because he's played for us. I'm not going down the Ainsworth route. I don't even remember um, him playing for us, to be honest. I was too young. <laughs> Obviously, I was. No, I remember uh, him. I remember yeah, him being here, but I don't remember any. I don't have any standout memories of him playing for us. But yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm with you on that one. Um, yeah, Appleton would be the main one for me. <laughs> Like I said before, it's difficult this time around because I think Alex Neal was the right man for the job at the time to take on that group of players. This time, I mean, how are we even going to look in the summer? What is the recruitment policy? Um, we've got a number of loan players who've, who've no idea what their futures are. I think this time it's a lot more difficult and I think it's important that we get it right. So Appleton would be the one for me. Yeah, Appleton's on my shortlist. Married to someone from Preston, and he? he had he had a pub round here at one point. He used um, to live down the road from where I grew up in Longton. Yeah, I'd have Michael Appleton. Um, I think he's one. Of, I think he's want to see out the job he's doing with Lincoln, though. And yeah. obviously, he's only just signed that four-year contract with him. So, don't mind. There'll be a buyout clause in that contract. So he's not going to be playing the full four years of that up. Not a chance. Depends if they go up, doesn't it? I mm. suppose as well. Yeah, mm. they seem to have hit the buffers a little bit, haven't they? The past few weeks. Um, which, to be fair, when he's managing a team that's probably a bottom half budget in League One, you know, I think that was always going to happen when you've got likes of Hull, Peterborough, Sunderland, you know, even Portsmouth, Doncaster, yeah. Link, you know, you know, Sunderland, for example. It's just teams around them that you think, look at the table and think, guys, Lincoln have no right to be there on paper, you know, but the, he's put together a good squad and um, the centre half got him a lot of goals, Monsima at the start of the season I think his goals have sort of dried up a little bit past few past few months and I think that's coincided with their downturn in form you know just looking at their results they've only won one of the last eight games we have four defeats in that so I think it has sort of dried up a little bit on him yeah um, I think the other but, thing to consider as well is that he's been linked with no disrespect to North End, but bigger clubs than us. He's, I think, I've yes. seen him linked with Sheffield United yeah, just... and West Brom in the last couple of weeks. So, yeah. you know, if you you would you would think if those clubs are in for him and we were that it's it's a no brainer where he's going to end up out of the three. Really, it'd be a real coup if we got him. Yeah, uh, you know, in my opinion, um, I know it didn't work out at Blackpool for him. Um, I hate saying that word on this podcast, but you know, he's and to be fair, it didn't work out at Rovers, but at that time, Rovers were in an absolute mess, weren't they? Let's be honest. He's got um, bags and bags of experience, though. He's been around the block, and you know, he's he's been at Leicester as a coach, um, and he, he is, by all accounts, very highly thought of in the game as a coach in terms of the way that he wants his teams to play. And if we are looking to move to this sort of head coach role, which we'll come on to in a bit, then he's someone that, for me, would would be a big tick in that box yeah no, absolutely and I think he was you know he got Oxford from out of League 2 into League 1 um, I think in his second season there and then obviously got them into the sort of top half of League 1 where 
let's be honest, they've remained ever since. Yeah. Um, assistant manager to Leicester City in the Premier League, you know, assistant manager at West Brom. And he's done well since he's been at Lincoln. You know, no one really seen them pushing forward into being a, a top six team. I know obviously the Cowleys had him and, you know, got them out of non-league into League Two and then into League One. But yeah, I just think, I, I think Appleton is he's probably my number one choice, if I'm honest. But I'd understand if he didn't want to come here as well within that same sentence. But he seems a great coach. This is the thing that's that's drawn me to Appleton. He yeah. seems a great coach, and he seems that he knows how to get the best out of players. Um, well, I've watched Ma- a few. Um, I think he's done a video with uh, the coach's voice, where he, they do like master classes of like coaching and, and drills, and sort of talk about their philosophy and stuff. And Watching them, you know, you, you you can tell from that. Obviously, he, he's a professional football manager, but he knows his stuff and he's passionate about it as well. And sort of not not maybe you you again hate saying this, but you Tony Pulis level where it's probably the basics, and you know he he puts a lot of thought and effort, and and I think you could argue as well maybe creativity into what what he does and. Definitely seems like a motivator and someone that is very much a man manager as well as a coach. Yeah. The other name I'm going to throw into the mix, and I had a good conversation with a power manager in the week about this guy, and we've got to look past. I know, obviously, Appleton's a former North End player, which probably, I don't think it clouds our judgment because we're judging him on what he's doing recently and what he's done as a coach since leaving North End back in oh. what, 97, 99, whenever it was. I said I don't remember him playing for us, so it's certainly not oh. clouding my judgment of him. Guys, Jake, you can't remember that, what date is that. Like, uh, my new player for us. But, <laughs> 2000 or 2001, wasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah exactly. So, I was I was eight years old, so... should remember stuff like that, Jake. It's not, oh, it's not an excuse. Up. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> but... um. I'm going to chuck another former player into the mix, which I don't want to do. I hate doing this, but I'm going to chuck Con- Colin considering, Davidson. Considering the amount of times we've said on here that sentiment, sentiment. is the worst thing is in football and all I know, that sort I'm, of stuff, but I think with Appleton this. and like you're going to do now with, with Callum Davidson, we're, we're sort of backing up our points outside of the fact that they played for us. Yeah. So Callum Davidson... Everyone thinks, whoa. And I thought this when I first started looking at it. He's not even managed 50 games in management yet. But he's got a trophy in his first full season at St. Johnston. But his pedigree before that is what attracts me to him. So when he... He was appointed as an assistant manager at St. Johnston near enough 10 years ago, uh, whilst he was still a player. Took temporary charge and they won the Scottish Cup that season. Um during, I think he managed a couple of the cup games, but obviously, I think it's Tommy Wright, I believe his name is, um, was the manager at the time and obviously deserves a lot of praise for what they did. So they won the Scottish Cup that season and he was assistant manager and covered as, as manager of part that year. He's then been added to Scotland's coaching staff, which I believe he may still be a part of um, as a coach. He Well, until he got the St. Johnson job anyway. He's then um, gone to Stoke City under Gary Rowett. Um, that he played with at Leicester. Obviously, I know it didn't really work out, and they both left. But then Davidson's gone back up to Dunfermline. He's then gone to Millwall with Gary Rowett again, and then 
obviously he's done a, a great job at St. Johnston. Um, the games they've lost, I mean, they've lost 13 games, I think it is this season, but they've lost them all by only one goal in what is quite a competitive league outside of the top two. Um, and the teams that have beaten by more than one goal are Celtic and Rangers, both on one occasion and Livingston right at the start of the year. I think Livingston beat them 3-0 on the plastic pitch. They've got it, the, uh, the Tony Macaroni. Um, the that's the name of the stadium, Tony Macaroni Stadium. <laughs> what? Why are you laughing at? What a name. It's brilliant, isn't it? I, um, I've got a couple of pals who support Livingston, that's fine. I know a little bit about them. So, um, But yeah, I, I just think he's with his pedigree and with his experience, and he's, he's very much a coach, you know, get, all about getting the best out of the players he's got. I just, you know, he's let St. Johnson back into the, you know, because SPL splits done it this week, I think it is. You know, they're in the top six again for when the league splits. So they're more than safe in terms of um, where they are as a club. I just think it's, we've got a tradition, haven't we, with Scottish managers as well? You know, look at our past appointments Moisey, Craig Brown, Billy Davis, Alex Neal, Alan Irving. Just that that Scottish connection's always always there, and I just think you know for someone that wants to prove himself at the level, that's you know can get the best out of the players he's got around him because you've got to, you've got a coach and you've got to motivate in Scotland because of how outside the, the the top two how competitive that middle patch is. Yeah, you know, a bit like how Alex Neil did at Hamilton, to be honest. You know, to, to start with, I know obviously it's got a little bit sour here, but I just think if you have that little bit of passion, you know, someone who's going to really motivate and drive your team forward, then I think it, it it could be a credible option. And there'll be a piece out on Lanks Live by the time this podcast comes out about six names that could potentially replace Alex Neal. Um, I'll say if he's gone. If not, I might have to hold back on the pace. <laughs> But um, <laughs> yeah, it'd be a bit a little bit naughty if it's publish an article about who could replace the manager if he's still in a position. But we'll just yeah. wait and see. Well, as we said, it wouldn't be too much of a surprise to see a delayed announcement if what we're told is, of course, true, and that the manager is set to lose his job. Um, yeah. Not just what we're told, but what's reported. It's already out there in the media, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Adam, have you got? You got another name? Um, well, if you'd, you know, when there was uh, the talk about Neil going to Bristol City last season, yeah, um, in the summer, a name which I would have said then, which I'm, I don't know if I'm sure about, would be Ryan Lowe, in terms of if it's difficult when you're in the lower divisions, isn't it? But the aim, well, the, the criticism for Neil at the minute is this boring football, negative football, you know, long ball type of thing. And Lowe is very much of the attacking mould, and I think that would appease some of the fans. Whether you can get away with it in the Championship is a different story. Um, but he certainly would have been a name order said a year ago. But this time around, it's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult, like I say, because you don't you don't know what, you don't know what route we're going to go down. Um, yeah. What I will say is, it it will not. I can't imagine it being an experienced manager. No, I was just—I was just going to say that. Or a foreign manager. Well, yeah, that would be a turn up for the books yeah. for us. Um, bit of a two-pronged question or point, but do you think whoever we we bring in that 
fans' expectations need to be tempered somewhat in terms of what we need to be looking to achieve as a club. If what we're, again, led to believe is going to happen in the summer and the, and the club do go down this sort of head coach role, it's going to be, everyone's aware that summer's going to be a massive rebuilding job. And I think I think you, you touched on it then with the style of football. I think if we can bring someone in that's going to sort of put something out on, on the pitch every week that is good to watch and fans enjoy watching, I think that will appease some. But then I think you're still going to have sections of the support that will still expect us to be pushing top 10, top six. But do you think the fans will need to, on the whole, temper expectations in terms of what can be achieved moving forward? I think this season, especially, I think that the number one aim now is just to get get safe and have a positive end to the season. Um, whatever happens next season happens. You know, we've said before here though, like January was only part one of the rebuild, and I think it was probably too big of a rebuild in January. To you know, that we've put the, the start of that rebuild together, but you know, part two is this summer, and I remember saying at the time, I. I don't know if it'll be Alex nearly oversees it because I just had that gut feeling back in January that it just was going to go a bit sour one way or the other. Um, you know, the, the warning signs were there. I think it's tough, really, because who who comes in, plays attractive football without much of a say in transfers, gets us higher up the league, tempers expectation in terms of where we're actually at as a football club. You know, we're a bottom eight budget side in this division. Consistently punched above our weight for the past five years of being at the level. It's tough. It's a tough ask for anyone who's going to come in and think automatically we're going to be a top six side because I genuinely don't think we will be. You know, look at who's, you look who's coming down from the Premier League. You know, Sheffield United will want to bounce back as quick as they can. West Brom, West Brom have, have got, been a yo-yo side for as long as I can remember. Yeah, but they've got that financial backing, haven't they, in terms of what, yeah. what's in the pot. You know, will Big Sam manage at this level? God, that's that's another question in itself. And then, if we're brutally honest, could be Newcastle or Fulham that come down. It probably is going to be one of them too now with Brighton's win last night. You know, both clubs have got significant financial clout. Newcastle, if they come down, they're in a mess though. That's the issue because there's no relegation clauses in their contracts. So they could be screwed. God, yeah, Mike Ashley could pull the plug. Yeah, and if that happens, Christ, it's that. I think that it's not a thought. I think any football fan wants to think about because if Mike Ashley pulls the plug on Newcastle, they are in some yeah. serious shit. Um, Excuse my French, but they're fucked. No, well, yeah, I think that. yeah, absolutely. You know, look at Aston, when Aston Villa came down, then that was. They had to go up. They had ninety-five million pounds worth of debt at that point, you know, over the course of a season. And if they didn't go up, FFP would have got them. It was promotional bust that season that they went up, wasn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. So you're competing with all these clubs that have got the, the the backing of like parachute payments and you know owners that will chuck a silly amount of money to to gamble on it. Trevor's not going to gamble on, you know, chucking 30, 40 million pounds more at the club in the hope that it might get us promoted. You yeah. know, the guy's chucked 116 million pounds at us in the past 10 years anyway. You know, you find me another person in the, the local area or beyond that's going to chuck 116 million pounds at a club 
that since he took over, has spent this is his sixth year at this level and four years in League One. Just you know, I I I don't know where we're magically you know, I don't know where we're finding this person. You know, I'll I'll go and see if there's any leprechauns or anything out there, but literally I can't <laughs> find anybody that's got that pot of gold because they're they're not out there, especially during you know an economic crash that we're in at the minute. The whole most of the world's in recession. You know, yeah. China. We, playing, we said it with China, Kieran, didn't we? The, but China the playing, other China, week. China's probably one of the countries that's got all this bloody money, and they're pulling out of football left, right, and centre. Yeah, you know, into a top of the Italian Serie A, and you know their owners won out. It's like you know, if if a, why would somebody like that or a Middle East consortium, for example, look at Preston North End, a club that's averaging between twelve and thirteen thousand fans when fans are allowed in the ground. That are losing I think that's being a little bit optimistic, Jim. No, that's our average attendance for the past two, three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, 12, it, I thought it was slightly lower than that. No, because you've got to think like during that time we've had some good cup ties. You know, Man City yeah, last season. You know, twenty odd thousand in there. Um, yeah. You know, the away fans have, bump it up as well. Yeah, exactly. It's not just home fans we're talking about. We're talking about total. You know total average attendance in fact it's more than that the past three years it's been 13 and our 14 1 and 13 7 um you know we've averaged more than 12 and a half thousand for the past well for every season we've been in the championship because it is boosted Fair by because yeah, yeah. it's boosted by away fans and um, but you know what makes Preston North End such a a global proposition, if you want to put it into that sort of language, to these investors from the Middle East or China or wherever that you're finding these people with money from, when we are a, quite a small fish in this this pond, you know, with a copious amount of debt to the owner, you know, we've got a fifty million pound loan to Grovemore, the owner's chucking in money through share issues like the like confetti, just to keep us going. Yeah. £300,000 a week, Kieran said, that we were losing last, last year. And that's increased as well over the last however many years. So it's not like it's remained a, a steady amount. Um, in terms of, obviously we've touched on it quite a bit already, but in terms of the future of the club and and again, what, what we're hearing is that they're moving more towards this sort of head coach role. Um and obviously, the 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 restructuring of the recruitment department has either just begun or it's completed now. Um, obviously, with James Beat coming into the club as senior player recruitment analyst or something like that. Um, what I, th- I think just for a few minutes, it's worth discussing sort of what the head coach thing is going to look like for the club and and why you think we're going down that route and and maybe for fans who aren't aware what the difference would be in terms of where we are now and where we could be in six, 12 months' time, should we go down that route? Well, I think for me is that it's hopefully going to get us into a position where the focus is going to be on on the recruitment because I think Jimmy touched on it then in terms of the owner and stuff. The recruitment side for us as a club our side, our size, is not just about getting to the Premier League. That's, yeah, all right, yeah, we can get to the Premier League, we get the right players. But it's also about us having to rely on the owner less, which I think the last few years we've just got completely wrong through signing League One players with no 
resale value at all. Um, I mean, we're lucky if we get what we paid for Stockley. So I don't know whether there's been some sort of, well, I presume there has tension with the manager, with Ridsdale. Um, so hopefully the, the head coach route will allow us to, to focus on the recruitment side of things. And then what you do then is you bring in a coach that sits, that suits this certain style that you have as a club. So that then once you do lose a manager or a coach, you can then easily replace them without having to worry about this stock of players that this previous manager signed that you now can't get rid of. So yeah. hopefully it will give us a bit more stability on that front. Um, but do you, do you the think... caveat being, do you trust? It's everything's still got to go through the island man, hasn't it? So, so do you think then that obviously with with this sort of head coach role route that we're we're supposedly going down? Do you think as a club we'll say to whoever comes in, this is our philosophy, this is how we want to play. Um, it's up to you to sort of go out there and make sure that you do that. Or do you think we'll say to a head coach? this is how we're recruiting. These are the player profiles that we're looking at, the type of players that we're going to look to bring in. And it's up to you to decide the philosophy and what, what goes out on the pitch. I think if we're going to go down that route, then it's got to be a whole club philosophy. So, it, And it's got to stem from the top right the top. way down. And, and that yeah. flows right the way through, not just the first team, but into the academy as well, in terms of how they set up. And how the under 16s and under 15s, etc., how they play from a category three perspective. Because if you're going to go for a one club philosophy, then that's really important that you get it right. And it's everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet, if that well, makes you look, sense. You look at clubs like Norwich, Brentford, they've both done it and sort of made that switch, if you will, in, in recent times. And Norwich obviously have been up there. Brentford should have been up there by now. I think most people would agree, could be up there come next season. Yeah. I think the, the key thing for me on that is that Brentford obviously scrapped their academy and went down the B team route. Um, you know, there's a few other clubs that have done similar, Huddersfield, for example. And, you know, they're using that money they'd, they'd spend on having a Category 3 or Category 2 academy and invest it in the first team or an under-23 structure instead. Yeah. Um, which obviously we don't have. So at the minute, you know, they get to 18, it's like, well, where's the pathway to being you know, when this player's 20 or 21? Although if they're not in the first team picture, what's the plan with them? And I think we've seen that recently with like Jack Baxter and Adam O'Reilly going over to Ireland. Um, is that going to be our route for when players progress and uh, I suppose in, in essence graduate out of the academy and become a professional? You know, if they're not in the first team picture immediately, are we going to farm them out to Ireland? when they play a summer season. So, you know, their season only starts these next sort of couple of weeks. Yeah. So, and, and the timings then are a bit strange because then you've got a player graduating out of the academy in, say, the July, doing pre-season with the first team. And if they're not in the first team picture or can't get a loan for the autumn, winter seasons, then they've then got to wait until January to get a loan. And even then, if they go over to Ireland, they've got to wait till March to actually play any football. Yeah. So I think we've just got to be really careful with that. If we're going to go down the the Cork City feeder club route, if that if you want to call it that, um, I think when you look at Brentford and Barnsley and other clubs of that ilk, you know their club structure and their club philosophy is ingrained now. You know the the Barnsley route. Obviously, they've got five other clubs within their group of. of Football clubs, you know, including Nostend and Nancy, and uh, I think it's the M, and they've got a club in uh, Denmark as well. So, yeah. 
you know, people compare, people say like, oh, how are Barnsley doing it? Well, it's no accident that Barnsley are doing it. You know, this is four or five years in the making. Yes, they got a little bit lucky on the final day last season, but it's no surprise they are where they are now, given how they recruit and how they are set up as a football club. Brentford, the same. You know, obviously, I've, I've retweeted that video last week, which is really interesting from my perspective in terms of obviously the lad that's, I think he's chairman at Mitchland, but also co-director of football at Char- uh, um, at Brentford. Brentford. Just like, yeah. yeah, it's just a, a real interesting way of of doing things, and I think if we are going to go down this head coach and you know director of football, whatever you want to call it, you know, in terms of other people doing the recruitment, that we've got to get it right in terms of we we don't just recruit on physical profile, we recruit on underlying numbers, we recruit on. You know, people hate talking about XG and XGA. You know, we recruit on all those underlying metrics that can find them gems that are out yeah. there. You know, that's how Brentford found um, the lad who went to West Ham. Oh, God, my mind's playing tricks this morning. Um, ben Rama. Ben Rama. Obviously, he was playing in uh, the French League 2 at the time. You know, his goals and assist contributions were poor. I think he'd scored about four or five goals and similar number of assists, but his XG was through the roof and his ex, you know, expected assists was through the roof as well. So his, his underlying date was there, but he just wasn't producing it. And it took him what probably the best yeah. part of six to 12 months to get him to that level. But then he goes for 20, what, 20, 25 million quid, whatever it was to West Ham. Yeah. You know, and um, I think another club as well that is worth pointing out, mentioned it before, Norwich. I read, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, um, read a really interesting piece earlier in the week about when Stuart Webber was appointed at Norwich as their director of football or sporting director or whatever it was. Yeah. And the restructuring that they went through, ironically, post Alex Neal's reign at the club. Um, and they went down that head coach rule uh, route and obviously they brought in Daniel Farker, who was, was he assistant manager at Dortmund or was he a reserve team coach or something at Borussia Dortmund? And Dortmund too, wasn't he? he was, something was like not- that, yeah. And and on and off the pitch, you know, apparently he, he was leading the charge in terms of a complete restructuring of the club and look at them now. I mean, granted, yeah, they've they've probably got more back in than what, what we have in terms of the money that they're investing in players and things like that. But like you've just said, Jim, there's no there's no reason to say that we can't go out and start looking to find these these players by recruiting with a more data-led approach. Which... Yeah, and I think the other thing with, with Norwich City, for example, is obviously for where they are geographically, there's only them in Ipswich probably within 50, 60, 70 miles in terms of football league clubs. You know, because yeah. they've got the C one way, and then inland you've got what Cambridge is probably the nearest one. You know, yeah. you're going that way, aren't you? And so they've got geographically, they, there's only them in Ipswich that can cherry pick all the best. They can get the best players from that, those sort of from areas, area. as well as being able to recruit. Because I think they're a category one academy, so they're investing the best part of five million pound a year into their academy system anyway, and it's coming to fruition because they've got what Todd Cantwell, Max Ahrens, um they yeah, had Ben Godfrey, uh, Jamal Lewis. Yeah, I mean, there's names there that are now Premier League footballers. Um, well, I think Ben Godfrey and Jamal Lewis went for millions between yeah, them, exactly. didn't they? Adam Ida, um, you could you could reel off names. I mean, don't know, I'm not a Norwich City fan, so I don't really know names apart from the ones off the top of my head. But having that category one academy and those coaches and academy staff that are bringing them through on a pathway, so they come out the 18s, they go into the 23s, they then go into the first team, they've got that pathway set in stone. Yeah. The minute, I just feel from our perspective and 
you know, I think we're probably one of only a handful of teams in the championship that have got a category three or four academy um, or no academy at all. There's not many clubs out there that don't have a, a plan in place, you know, that, or maybe aren't category one or two. You know, Blackburn Rovers down the road are a category one academy. You know, they have an under-23 cell. They've got a separate area for the training, you know, separate training ground for the kids currently. I know, obviously, they're on about merging Brockholes into one and selling the rest for housing to make a bit of money. But I just think we'd, we need a... If we're going to go down that change of philosophy route, then it's got to be a whole club structure. It's got to be a whole club way of doing things, not just a half-arsed approach to it. Yeah. That's it. That's exactly it. And the thing is, historically... Do we trust the, Do we trust that it's going to be done properly? You know, that's it's all right saying you're going to do it, but it's actually doing it, through. isn't it? The proof's yeah. in the pudding, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hope they do it. I hope that, no, and genuinely, I hope that they do it as a full club approach and don't expect instant results. That's the, the I'd really want to temper expectations on that because yes, we might do a full restructure. And we might change the way of doing things, but that's going to take, you know, eighteen months, two years, three years potentially to show results. Well, you, it's not you going mentioned Barnsley before when when their new owner came in, you know, and put put their plan in place. You, you you're talking now the four or five years down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's starting to sort of pay dividends, so to speak. Um, my next point and. Final point, really, before we briefly look at, at Norwich and, and finish up the pod is, obviously, at the time of recording, Alex is, is still in a job. It's widely reported that the club are, are at least considering his future if further decisions haven't been taken already. Um, and, and the word on the street, so to speak, is that between now and the end of the season it's going to be given to Paul Gallagher and Steve Thompson to sort of take over. What do you think the merits of giving it to these two in particular are, if any? Or do you think it's just a case of trying to sort of tide ourselves over to the end of the season when we can properly crack on with sort of everything that we've just discussed, really? I'd say that's it. Um, I mean, you'd you'd assume Gallagher and uh, Thompson are both well-respected. They might be able to just get things back to basics um, and get us through there to the end of the season. The only difficulty is, is the next three games, if we don't get any points in those next three games, the pressure's suddenly on those two. And then do you think, then where do you go? You know, Or is so, it? Because the club could be quite clear about, especially internally to them two, no pressure for these three. You know, Well, no, I mean... They're a gimme, of, so to speak. I mean, in terms of we're sucked into a a battle that we don't want to be involved in and we've got two inexperienced to some extent people leading it um, yeah fair enough yeah I don't, I, I don't know I mean you'd like to think we get a bit of a bounce from it I mean it, it, it makes sense it, it's, it's, the, the, it's what everyone's thinking anyway isn't it so yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah I, I worry about the impact of, of Sakin Ixil at this point because, like you said, these next three games, whilst you could probably view them as three hits, with five games to go at that point, we could be really dragged into a, a serious situation. And it, I think it'd be unfair for the pressure to be on, you know, two guys that, you know, Paul Gallagher's only coached for the best part of two years at the under 16 level. 
Um, and obviously, I know he's done a bit of, with the first team and, and Steve Thompson, who's been around the club since Simon Grayson's days. I think it's really unfair for them two to probably take the flack. And I, I, it's a bad comparison I'm going to make, but it just reminds me of when Alan Shearer went into Newcastle. You know, he's on a complete hide into, hide into nothing. Yeah. You know, if he kept him up, he kept him up, great. But he took him down and it probably tarnished his legacy as a, you know, as a magpie up there. It's like, it's, um, you know, he's the man who took him down. And I just feel that, yeah, it's the route they're probably going to go down. But is it the right route to go down? Would it, would it not be better getting someone in, in in these next sort of three or four days that if Alex Neal does go, that hopefully comes in with fresh ideas, fresh impetus. When, when you say get someone in, do you mean permanently or just as a temporary sort of job until the end of the season? Do it till, you, know, you could do it either way. You could have someone in mind that you think is going to... Um, be a long-term manager or you could get someone in that you think, right, they're going to keep us up. If they keep us up, then, you know, they can be financially awarded or they could but have then... the contracts extended. <clears throat> I, but you look at, so for example on that, was it Harry Redknapp that went into Birmingham? Um, I, yeah. I, I don't, don't know, this is not me saying I want Harry Redknapp to be in charge of my football club, but he went in there instead of the ship, got him, got him safe, got a nice little bonus at the end of it, left. Sent, um, sent Rovers down, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. Fair oh, but they had to leave, they had to leave. Jimmy, or they do a really good job, and you force the state for men. Yeah, and, and, and they're not the right it. person for the job. Yeah, exactly. Lammy's doing it at Fleetwood. I know they got beat yesterday and boss McCoopin, but um, not bitter. <laughs> Didn't <laughs> um, come across but, that way at all, mate. No, of course not. Um, but he's going to Fleetwood. You know, after after Barton left, and he steadied the ship. They've, I think, there were six unbeaten going into yesterday. I think they'd had four wins and two draws yeah. against some teams that are around him he's on a contract to the end of the season. And it's a case of, well, I want to prove myself to say, you need to keep me as your manager for next season so I can kick, so I can kick on and, and push you on as a football club or you can get rid of me and get someone else in. You know, yeah. it's, it's as simple as that. And I think if you give it Galli and Tomo to the end of the season or whatever it, you, you want to say, I think it it just, it doesn't change anything for me. These, these are two lads that have been in and around Alex Neal's dressing rooms. They've probably been doing a lot of the coaching, trying to motivate the team themselves as well. Just think we need a fresh pair of eyes. On, go in on the contrary it- to that, though, could you not argue that if if it is given to Galley and Tomo, should Alex Neal be relieved of his duties? Galley's relatively fresh in the coaching world. And could you not maybe make an argument to say that he would be the the main man, so to speak? And equally, yeah, they might have both been in and around Alex Neal's dressing room for the last three, four years. Tomo's been around enough to probably have his own ideas and Galli will no doubt have his own ideas. So yeah. on the contrary to that, could you not say that they'll both want to come in and sort of make their own mark and maybe move away from the last 12, 18 months? Yeah, but they're not going to be able to reinvent the wheel, are they? They're not, they're, you're not going to be able to come in and just completely rejuvenate and you know, get a team re-motivated when they've been around that same dressing room environment under Alex Neal for the past four years. I just think, you know, that yes, they might have different ideas, they might have a different perspective on coaching or, you know, make it more sort of a fun environment. And if they do, great, because obviously we've heard that, you know, Exxon is quite a strict environment to be around, you know, from a from a player's perspective. But I think, yeah, if listen, if they can motivate and, and get some energy back into the team, 
by from existing guys that are still at the club, great. I just have a, a little bit of a, a concern that it's not as easy as that because they're probably just as affected affected by what's happened over the past three, six, 12 months, whatever, however long you think there's been a problem at the football club. It, I mean, you'd we, hope... We, sorry, Jimmy, you'd hope that it would have like the same effect as, you know, when Wesley left and, you know, we got that, you know, we got the win against Bournemouth away. and you think you get that bounce straight away. But we then got manager in before the end of the season. We didn't keep with that situation until the end of the season. Yeah. So you'd hope you get that initial bounce where they go, you know what? And, and if Exxon is a bit strict, you go that week, you go, look, lads, we're relaxing this week. We're doing whatever, whatever, whatever. Do anything you can to just take the pressure off. But if you start losing a couple of games and we get dragged into that battle, you're then stuck with that situation where it's not had the effect that you wanted it to. And, and pressure's you're a few massively further, on, isn't it? Pressure's mm-hmm. mounting and you've got fewer games left to bring someone in to change it. So it's difficult. I don't but, think but, there's a right. I don't think there's a right answer to it, Jake. In, in total yeah. honesty, I, 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 and I, I just hope they make the. I just said there's not a right answer, but I hope they make the right. <laughs> I hope they make the right decision. You know, and but e- you know, equally as well, whoever they're targeting, if they're currently in a job, and they have something to play for in their current yeah. job, how likely are they to leave to come? To potentially get dragged into a relegation battle, so it's one of them, isn't it? Like, you'd be better waiting to the summer to to <laughs> make that move to bring someone in permanently where seasons are finished, people know where they stand, and and if it is a case of getting a manager out of League One, more than likely they're not going to turn down a move to the Championship and more best money, can, presumably. Best way I can describe that, mate, is it's like someone leaving Tesco and going to work for Debenhams, like before Debenhams yeah. went pop. Why, why would you leave a safe job and then go to work for a company that's about to go pop? You wouldn't. You know, well, Darren Moore's done it. But Darren Moore's been very, very badly advised for me. I just <laughs> yeah. think, what is he doing? I, when I seen him, because it caught everyone by surprise, didn't it, that move? Yeah. I, I just thought, well, Doncaster did the buffers a little bit, but went to Chef Wednesday, an absolute car crash of a football club. You know, if you get some out of it, Rain. fair play. I think he'll have a massive bonus in place if he gets keeps them up, but I think he'll have a, a sort of a promise in place for next season if they do go down to League One because that's the yeah. level he's been managing at. I don't envy the lads who are going to be making these decisions because it's tough to part part ways with the manager anyway. Um, to start Especially with, at not, this point in the season, yeah, with eight games to go, I think it's a really tough point that we're at as a football club. Um, and do you think with hindsight, I, it would have been better doing it weeks ago? Um, hindsight's a wonderful thing I don't think anybody at the football club saw was losing the three games that were just lost on in, on the run in terms of Wickham Middlesbrough and then yesterday against Luton I don't think anybody saw that coming because there was there was positive signs there a few weeks ago that you know especially during February that we might actually be coming you know turn the corner you know green shoots of recovery and all that Bournemouth game and yeah I just thought like we're potentially going to get out of it here and then these last three results in particular and the Millwall game, you know, when we've lost a point late on, I just think, yeah, I think that you look at them last five games, you know, not not won a game, scored two goals, you know, and some bad for those defeats. I mean, he's it's bad, like, it? Yeah. And you know what? I know this is going to sound really strange, but none of them four teams that have beat us in the last five games have really had to work hard for it. 
you know, Wickham out-footballed us, which is embarrassing as it is. Middlesbrough, yeah, the referees probably influenced the game in terms of the sending off, but they're not like, it's not like they've battered us, you know. But, and then Luton yesterday, they've probably, they have been the better team. But I don't think we've done ourselves justice in any of these games. No. You know, I just think it took a wonderful strike from Chad at Millwall to even get us anything, give us any opportunity to get anything from the game. I just think, I just don't think we've done ourselves justice. And I think, you know, I think Ryan Ledson is absolutely right with what he said yesterday. I think the players have partly let the manager down. And yeah. that it's that it's you know, I don't want I don't want to see anyone lose the job at this time of year. But and I like Alex Neal, but I just think the time's come. And it's sad, but we we've got we've got to get ourselves out of this situation we're in. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think do you think that starts on Good Friday, obviously when Norwich come to town and we face a very informed side? Uh, they've lost one drawn one in their last eight or nine games, I think it is. They're running away with the league, I think it's safe to say. Eight points clear a second. Yeah, I mean, they've conceded four goals in the last 10 games. They've scored 21. You know, that's three times as many goals as what we've scored, you know, in the last 10 games. That's that's frightening, really. 28 points from 10 games. Oh, yeah. I mean, what is it? Nine wins and one draw in the last 10 games. Um, perfect time to play Norwich, isn't it? Bloody hell! Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just it's just our luck, isn't it? Like I know Rovers got a point there yesterday, which fair play to him, you know, in terms of getting a point. But it's, it's a game to... where under Neil, you'd usually say oh, this is the type of game we pull something out of the bag. Absolutely, but, yeah. But but at the minute, I mean, he hasn't. Even, we haven't even got that belief anymore, have we? Really, it's just. And, and it's yeah. looking increasingly likely like it won't be a game under Alex Neil either. Well, yeah, I mean, and that might be a, a game where you go, all right, yeah, there is no pressure. It might be perfect where you go, just go for it. But it's a tough ask because they're a really, really good side. Yeah, yeah. I'm not it's, even, um, even going to bring up predictions. There's no point. There's no point even pre- previewing it, mate, because two weeks is a long time in football. And yeah. I think we don't know what's going to happen in the next 12 days. It's just... Let's, I, I don't know hours, mate. Yeah, I was going to say I don't even know what I'm having for dinner yet and that's about five minutes away so <laughs> it's um, yeah we'll just wait and see and we'll probably preview it near the time and hopefully we'll have a bit of a clearer understanding once this I, podcast is released yeah I have a sneaky feeling that we might be recording uh, another pod between now and uh, that game anyway but yeah, we'll wait and see. Um, yeah, unless you boys have got anything else you want to say, then we can wrap that up. No, I'm just well, sorry mate. it's um, not as positive as we wanted to be, but like, I, I, the, what can be positive about that yesterday and the situation in general? Because it's not, you know, nobody comes out of this situation positively. And nope. I think we've just got to, I suppose, remain being kind to each other, don't get dragged into all the nonsense on social media and just um, stay safe we'll soon be out of all this situation and yeah roll on next Monday when I can football train and we can actually start meeting people properly again and well not properly like but we can actually start a getting weeks back away that, isn't yeah just, just a little bit of a sense of normality and you know if Alex Neil does leave the football club in the next 48 hours or before we record another podcast 
thank you for your service. Thanks for everything you've done and um, best of luck with your future, mate. Yeah, goes with our best wishes. Um, yeah. Definitely. Adam, thank you very much for coming on. Much appreciated. No problems. Enjoyed it, guys. Good to yeah, have you. Nice one, Danny. Yeah, and thank you for listening to episode 48 of the From the Finney podcast, listener. As we said at the start, you can support us by going to supported.acast.com forward slash From the Finney. And yeah, go and give us a follow on Twitter, Jim. I'm sure most people that listen are probably following you already, but what's your Twitter account or your um, Twitter handle? At BaseIPNE. Uh, Adam, what's yours? Brownie underscore underscore underscore. Three underscores? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and if people want to see the rubbish that I tweet generally about sport, um, I'm at J-I Oats. Oats like porridge, but with an E between the T and the S. Um, well, I, just, I don't I don't have any other way to How many times have you said that? <laughs> a lot, a lot. Um, yeah, cheers, boys. Thank you very much. And we'll hand you over to the juice to play us out with their not-so-new but still-new single, Tell Me Tina. All right, North End fans, the juice here. You're listening to From the Finney. This is our brand-new single, Tell Me Tina. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah.